Let's open in prayer. Father, we humbly come. We recognize, really, our unworthiness. We recognize, Lord Jesus, what you have done on the cross. We recognize, Holy Spirit, that you are in us. And Lord, that you lead us through your spirit. You guide us. You refresh us. You comfort us. You strengthen us. And you stir our hearts, Lord, to live for you. Lord, that's really our desire. As Peter talked about, that uh, we are to be living stones. That, that when people see us, they, they see there must be a God. They see your presence in us. All because your spirit is in us. So lead us and guide us today. And all God's people said, Amen. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to look at a, a couple verses from last week as kind of a, a lead-in. Galatians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15 is where we finished last time. Let me read. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, and take care that you do not be consumed by one another. That's so true, isn't it? People bite, they devour, husbands, wives, relationships in workplaces. We're to be peaceable people. We're to be loving people. We're to be people that God's love, it's been poured into our lives, it's to be manifested and flow through us. But this is a struggle because we want our rights, as we talked about last time. We deserve our rights. We want it our way. And really, that's not the way of the Scripture. Look with me in your text in verse 16 through 18. I'll read it together. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Paul has been dealing with legalism. Every one of us here, if we're honest, are legalistic in some way, some bent. We tend to judge others, find fault with people don't live up to our standards. And that's not the standards of God. The only standards is Jesus Christ. And all of us fall short of the glory of God. But the moment that you and I are born again, the moment that we're placed into the body of Christ, God chooses to see us just as we've never sinned. He sees us perfect. He sees us that finished work that he will do in you and me and he has accomplished that already but our part now is to let him finish that work in a practical way positionally yes he sees us practically there's struggles in each of our lives he says in verse 16 but i say walk by the spirit you'll not carry out the desire of the flesh 
He says, if you walk in the spirit, he's saying, you will not bite, you will not devour one another. Here's the key. Here's the key to the Christian walk. What is it? To walk by the spirit. He will go on later on, we'll look at it that we're to not only walk by the spirit, to walk in the spirit, to walk with the spirit. That you and I can go through this life in fellowship, in perfect fellowship with the Lord, if you choose to. See, that's really the situation. We are either going to choose to walk with the Lord or we'll choose to be our own master. Either he's the Lord of our life or we're the Lord of our life. It's a choice. Again, it's a promise, he says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. You won't fight. You won't bicker. You won't devour one another. But you'll bring glory to God. You'll, you'll experience the peace that passeth all understanding. If you're walking in the Spirit, you will be not thinking about the past. You'll not be worried what someone else is doing because the focus is going to be upon God. So enthralled with him, so, so amazed with him. That's a person that is walking in the spirit that is so in love with God that, that is not under the law because those things aren't even considered because he's so in love with Jesus, he just follows wherever Jesus goes. He just does what Jesus does. He doesn't need rules and regulations. The laws, again, were perfect in converting the soul, yes. Showing us our need, our schoolmaster, to bring us to Christ. But when we come to know Christ, as you were worshiping and singing with all of your heart to the Lord, that's the way that we are to go through life. Maybe not singing down the street. You can if you want. Maybe singing in your heart, but so focused upon him. Now, if we're not in the spirit, then what are we in? We're in the flesh, is what he's going to go on to say. We're consumed with this world, consumed with the things of the world, consumed again with these carnal, fleshly desires. Justification, when we, we talk about that, was never, ever accomplished by our own efforts. It was accomplished when Jesus went to the cross. Calvary covered it all. Jesus died for our sins. And a person who believes in him, trusts in him, knows that his sins are taken away. Knows his unworthiness, but yet realizes what God has done. Recognizes it wasn't because he kept the law, kept a series of rules, got his life together and coming to the Lord. No, no. It was all because of what Jesus did. If you could remember for a moment that when you recognized the Lord Jesus Christ, what he had done for you on the cross, and that your sins are washed as white as snow, there was a joy that bubbled up from your life most likely. Most people, they're praying about everyone. They're, they're, they're telling everyone about Jesus. And then something happens. And they return and they go back to the flesh. 
is if they accomplish something. Well, sanctification, this is what we're talking about, walking in the Spirit. This is what's going to happen. It was also never accomplished and never will be accomplished by our own efforts. Today, you're here today as a believer. You are saints in Christ. St. Dale. St. Steve. St. Rosa. Rosa, do you feel saintly? Not so sure about that, do you? None of us feel that way, do we? That we're so saintly. But that's, again, that we're set apart. We're being sanctified. We become his workmanship. He changes us from the inside out. He works in our heart. He gives us new desires. To be with him, to be around other people. See, a person that's in the spirit wants to meet with the Lord. They, they, what they do is they congregate together. They worship together. They study the word together. They encourage one another. They provoke one another onto good works. They want to tell people about Jesus. See, this is a work that God does in you, and your part is to surrender to him, to let go to him. But oftentimes we can say, well, you know, my, my past... It doesn't matter what your past is. Your past is washed as white as snow. It is important to understand who we become in Christ. We are now a child of God. God sees you as his own child. You, you're adopted and placed into the, the body of Christ. You're set apart. He sets you apart. It's not something that you have done. In fact, when we talk about this, this idea of sanctification, and we're not going to cover much text today because I really wanted you to understand the freedom. Please understand the freedom that you and I have in, in Christ is so important. Again, that first stage of sanctification, understand, is, is preparatory sanctification. It, it means that, again, it's when a believer is a, awakened. He, he becomes a believer. God prepares a person, convicts them of their sins. The Holy Spirit is wooing them and drawing them and convicting them. And then he quickens. The person becomes born again. They're, they're placed in the body of Christ. It is a work of Jesus Christ. A person just doesn't come and say, I want to be a Christian. Now, you may be tired of yourself, but it's God that's showing you that need and what he has for you. And that first stage, again, is, is a work of God. And, and this is what sanctification is. Please understand, you cannot save yourself. You cannot make yourself holy. You cannot, all the discipline in the world, make yourself like Jesus. You need the Holy Spirit to change you and transform you. Let me read 2 Thessalonians 2.13. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved because of the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in truth. Notice again, it's, it's salvation and sanctification by the Spirit. The Spirit of God makes you holy. The Spirit of God changes you and transforms you and begins to write on the tablets of your heart. He convicts you and gives you new desires. 
to be in places and do things that you have never done before. Well, there's a second stage that we've already kind of mentioned, and, the, and that's what we call, again, that positional. That's just the position. You are saints. That occurs a moment of conversion. That's when a, a, a person who is a sinner becomes a believer and he's eternally set apart for God. You are made a saint. In 1 Corinthians 6.11, reminds us of this. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in the spirit of our Lord. See, the work is always God in you and me. Our part is to surrender. When we we see the shortcomings, and we're going to look at the deeds of the flesh next week, and then we'll look at the fruit of the Spirit, those deeds, they, they may make you feel like, wow, I'm still struggling. Maybe I'm habitually doing one of these things. It, it brings us to a place when we see those things, we say, Lord, save me. Not just a salvation, but save me from myself. Does anyone need to be saved from their self here today? From our desires? Yeah, that, that's what it does. Is, but you have to recognize it. When you recognize it, you thrust yourself upon him and he begins that work. And it's a work of him. You, you can discipline yourself all day long and maybe you put like putting a Band-Aid on, but eventually when something happens, all heck breaks loose. It's only Jesus, his spirit working in you that brings this permanent change. Hebrews 10.14 says, For by one offering he has perfected for one time those who were sanctified. Those that are set apart. Those that are saints. Once. The work of the cross and then the Holy Spirit. He does the work. I've seen Christians through the years. You've seen Christians through the years that strive and strive and strive and they keep returning like a dog to its vomit. I, I, I can't stand it. I, 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 I'm drinking. I'm, I'm whatever it is I, I'm doing. Again and again, I can't stand it. Well, they're going to keep coming back there as long as they do it on their own power. You want victory? Walk in the Spirit. You'll not f- fulfill the desires of the flesh. It's walking in the Spirit. It's surrendering God. It says, God, use me. Fill me. Change me. It's recognizing, yes, that unworthiness, but that need. I need you, Lord. If there's ever to be a change in me, you've got to do it because I can't do it. And sometimes that's the only time it happens is when you finally come to the end of yourself. How many times just in your own mind have you come to the end of yourself? Oh, so many times before we really surrender to the Lord. That's what salvation is all about, is really giving ourselves to the Lord. Well, again, there's a third stage. It's what we call progressive sanctification. See, there's many in this life that think they've reached perfection. You probably know some like I know some. But salvation is something that sanctification, that that ongoing is a progressive, that you're growing in that love. You're growing in that grace. You're learning to put off the things of the flesh and put on the things of the spirits. Again, he sets us apart as a Christian unto himself 
from the temptations of the world and the flesh and the devil. And the way he does it is the spirit indwelling us. When we choose to let him lead us and guide us. Well, how does it happen? Look with me in John 17, 17. It says, sanctify them in the truth. Thy word or your word is truth. Sanctification comes as you read the word and you take the word and you hide it in your heart. You're washed by the water of the word. Many people fail to get in the word and they're washed. Now it's okay just to listen to it and marinate your mind with it, but you've got to get the word in you somehow. The Holy Spirit takes the word of God and works in the person of God. Look at Ephesians 5.26, so that he might sanctify her, referring to the church, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word. We need to be washed by the water of the word. Husbands, you are to wash your wives with the water of the word. It can be simply just reading the word, sitting down each day and just say, well, let's just read a chapter. Let's read a a context, a, a, a few paragraphs each day and just read it. And let the spirit of God work in your life. What it's doing is putting the spirit first. You're saying, Lord, I need to be in your word. I know that when I come to your word, your word will wash me. Your word will set me free. It will transform me. And I know your ways are higher than mine. I don't understand how it's going to work. But Lord, I come to you. Take control of my life. There's a fourth stage. It's prospective sanctification. It occurs either from a physical death, okay, or at the return of Christ. And the result is a total separation from this sinful nature. When you and I, you either go up with the rapture, be caught up with them, this incorruptible cannot inherit heaven. You must have this new nature. It's separated. You'll have a physical body, but it will not be corruptible. It will not be bent toward sin. If you physically die then you'll be still caught up, brought up to be with him and receive a body fashioned for eternity. That will be the finished work. We also give another name to that. It's what we call glorification. Where you will be glorified. Never ever sin again. Never hurt anyone again. Never tell a lie. Never have an evil thought. I long for that time. How about you? I long for that. I've hurt people I've loved. You know how that is. It, it's hard. You, you hurt the ones you love the most. But he will finish that work in you. He'll finish that work in me. Romans 8.30 says this, and these whom he predestined, he is also called, and these whom he called, he is justified, and these whom he justified, he is also glorified. Do you understand the, the tense of that? It's done. God sees you now as you're already glorified. It is, when he says it's done, it's done in eternity. It's done 
How many times you said, you know, I put a check in the mail and you're really going and to put it in, you haven't put it in? How many times you say you're going to do something and you never do? When God says it's done, it's done. And God will finish the work in you, in me. When we get to Ephesians, it is rich when it talks about the, the body of Christ, the riches that we have in, in Christ Jesus. And Paul wanted to, again, another thing to realize is the Galatians to realize the obedience of the law, it does not produce progressive sanctification. How many times have you just tried to, to say, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do this, and you do it again? And again, again. And, you know, there's the illustration. I, I caught myself even doing it. Say, there'll be a time we get this building, we, we paint something, and if you're around and it says wet paint and... People have look around, nobody's looking, and oftentimes I'll see people just touching the paint. I've done it. You want to see if it's still wet. The law just causes you to, to want to break it, to test it, to, can I get away with this? Tell the kids, don't touch the stove, and what are they going to do? Charge for the stove. There must be a reason. I might benefit from it, and, and that's what the law does. Well, Romans 1.17 says this, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, But the righteous man shall live by faith. What does it mean, the righteous man to live by faith? We just walk by faith. We do not know what tomorrow will bring we know who's in control of tomorrow. We know he's on the throne. We cast our cares upon him and we let him work out the details because we are his. Because God assures us that all things work for the good for those who love the Lord and called according to his purpose. One day we'll look back and say, God, all because of this that you allowed in my life, I'm at this place today. In my own life, to be divorced, a horrible thing. God hates divorce, but Judy and I divorced. But it brought us to the point that we both saw our need of Jesus Christ and we were born again. Who would have thought that I'd be a pastor? No way. See, God has a plan that everything that happens, while it may seem bad, he will use it to accomplish his own purpose. Well, there's a nature of spirituality. Look with me in verse 16 of our text. But I say, walk by the Spirit, you'll not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh. For these in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But again, in verse 18, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Well, what is spirituality? You've heard people say, well, I'm a spiritual person. What does that mean? Very confusing. Well, I kind of feel things. I feel a lot of things too. But that doesn't make a person spiritual. Can I accomplish it by some form of, of, of legalistic uh, Conformity, some 
following the, 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 the moral laws, traditions, denominational list of do's and don'ts. No, no, that, that won't do it. Spirituality is having a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's being led by the Spirit. And it's not me. It's the Spirit of God that makes you a spiritual person because you, when you're born again, you were spiritually dead, but now you're spiritually alive. And a person that's in this world that says, I'm spiritual, never been born again, they're not spiritual. They're deceived. They're lost in this world. Their spirit is still dead and they still need to be born again. Unless a person's born again, they will not enter the kingdom of God. And the church, sadly, is full of people that call themselves spiritual that have never been born again. They, they conform to, again, a, a series of rules and regulations. Again, in verse 16, it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit. You not carry out the desire of the flesh. The command begins with just one step. You know, I have a little book. It's called Praise of Plotters. It's just putting one step in front of the other. It's not how fast you can run. It's not how much you can learn real quickly. It's just faithfully stepping one step in front of the other. It happens when a person is born again. Instantaneously, he's placed in the body of Christ. He now is alive in Christ. And a new walk progressive walk again of sanctification has begun. So he's putting one foot in front of the other, one day at a time, ongoing, continually. You know that word, walk in the spirit? Actually, the, the tense is, is, is probably better put, keep on walking. Keep on walking. I think, okay, I'll walk in the spirit. Okay, I'm done over here. No, you need to continually, day in, day out, walk in Christ. Not make a right turn, not make a left turn. Not say, Lord, you wait in the car while I go do this. It's continual, it's ongoing, it's, it's persistent to walk in the Spirit. So it's really saying, keep on walking, ongoing. Now, it's, it's not running, it's not dragging our feet. It involves time and it's persistent. It's something that's ongoing. When you walk, there's, there's a reason you walk. There's, there's a purpose that you, you walk. There's initiative that you have to make, but there's a purpose. You want to accomplish. You want to go somewhere. And when you walk in the Spirit, you want to become like Jesus Christ. Isn't that our desire? I know it is your desire. I know you, I see the change. As you walk in him more and more, then you are able to continually walk that walk. In fact, walking in the spirit, walking out of faith is really what a Christian is all about. If a person is not in the spirit, in a continual walk, how can we honestly say that I'm a Christian? They were called Christians because they're, Life was like Christ. Jesus went about the Father's business. He was concerned about the things that the Father had given him, and that's what a Christian is concerned about, 
the kingdom of God, his righteousness. It's pursuing them continually ongoing. It's putting, again, the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, before all things. That means before work. That means before our relationships. That means before our hobbies, our interests. Because he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he'll add all things. It's when we're seeking him, continually walking in him, all the pieces come together. When my relationship is right with him, my relationship is right with everyone else. But if I'm not walking in him, that's again, I'm not walking in that spirit. That's when people bite because they're just walking. They're not thinking about it. They're just telling people about Jesus. They're, they're just loving Jesus. They're just enjoying and resting in him and enjoying the creation. Isn't this a beautiful scene out here? Isn't it amazing God lets us be here? Now, it'd be nice if we get the building to tint, tint these windows a little bit, right? But isn't this incredible? The person's walking in the spirit says, God, your, your creation is magnificent. I can't even imagine what heaven is like. And this is fallen creation. They're so amazed with the Lord. They're just talking about the Lord, enjoying the Lord, and going wherever they go. They've just seen the wonder of who God is. When a person's going through their life with that attitude of just focused upon God and, and seeing his handprint, or, or, or maybe just a different personalities in people, or, or being excited what God is doing in someone's life. That's a person's in spirit because they're not thinking about themselves. They're thinking about the spirit. They're thinking about God. Being in the spirit is a natural manifestation when I surrender myself. Now, we talk about, again, that, that, that be not drunk but be filled with the Spirit. And sometimes we have this idea, it's like a pitcher and, and it's, it's half empty. Well, let's pour some more water, be filled. It's all the way to the brim. That's not what it's talking about. It's being controlled. See, walking in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, is controlled by the Spirit, a Spirit-controlled life. That when someone is harsh to you, someone is nasty to you, someone strikes you, you don't strike back, you, you don't verbally go back against them, you're, you're able to turn the other cheek. When someone's having a bad day, I'm going to assume, and they just, they just dump the dump truck on you, you pray for them. Lord, you know what's going on in their hearts. You're, you're not angry with them. I know you guys are not angry. It's the other church, right? None of us struggle with that, do we? No, we do, don't we? But there's a key that we're not in the spirit in those times. Our walk should not reflect the typical ordinary life of just a person down the street. An ordinary life of an individual. No, no, it should be bounced and tossed and turned of every wind of doctrine or, or excited about this one day and excited about that. No, no, no. Look at Ephesians 4.1. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, employ you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you were called. See, the person walking in the Spirit wants to walk in a way that brings glory 
to God wants their lives to exalt Jesus Christ. This is something that we grow in that love and grace of, of Jesus Christ. You know, as you do that, the road becomes narrower and there's less people walking down that path because they're not willing to deny themselves and pick up their cross and follow him, devoted daily. Look at Ephesians 4.17. So this I say, affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. Our walk is to be distinctively different. How do people see your walk? Do, do they relate you to Jesus Christ? Do they see there's something different? Do other Christians, when they see you, praise God? Are they excited and blessed because they see you growing in, in the Lord and being used by the Lord? How does the world see you? Well, first of all, it will convict them. It'll make them uncomfortable sometimes. And yes, they will attack you. But how we deal with them is very, very important. We're to love them, to love the unloving, to love those that are unkind because Christ is in us. Look with me again in, in Ephesians 5.2. Walk in love. See, if you're walking in spirit, you're, you're walking in a way that's worthy of God, yes. Okay, not as the world walks, but you're walking in love. Love incarnate. That's, a, that's Jesus. That means that person is hurting. If you have a need that you can, or they have a need and you can help them in that way, you can provide something to them, you can minister to them, you just do it. It says, walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, Offering a sacrifice to God is a fragrant aroma. It means living a sacrificial life. And that sacrificial life sometimes is for, for unbelievers. Yeah. To those that hurt us. That, 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 that's how Jesus lived his life. Because we're all sinners. We're all unbelievers at one point. He wept over Jerusalem knowing that they were going to deny him, reject him. But he willingly went to the cross and died for them. So walking in the Spirit means walking in love. Not in anger, not in bitterness, not in condemnation of others, but love. God have mercy upon them. God saved them. God used my life in some way in order to minister or surround them with other brothers and sisters. Ephesians 5, 8 says, For you formerly walked in darkness, that's the walk of the world, but now you are the light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So when we walk in the Spirit, we're walking as children of the light. That people see Jesus Christ in our life. That, that we have a, a, a higher standard, not looking down at him, but, but, but our standard is God's standard. Morally, we're, we're different. And this walk, anyone can accomplish it on their own? No. You can't without the Spirit of God. It's hard to love someone that is unloving, who hurts you. 
that wants to destroy you, but that's the life that we're called to live. We can try and say, no, 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 that isn't what he meant, but, but that's what he did mean. That's what he teaches again and again and again. Well, there's three more characteristics of the mark of a spiritual walk. Notice again in Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Those who walk in the Spirit, those who are spiritual, that are walking in that Spirit, by the Spirit, in the Spirit, they will not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Now, has anyone here ever grieved the Holy Spirit? Hint, every one of us have. Well, what does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? Anything that is inconsistent with his character, his morals, anything that robs him of his glory. Certainly going back to biting and devouring and fighting. How sad when the body of Christ devours one another. A husband and wife devour one another. Two brothers, two sisters, their brother and a sister. Divorce. God hates it because it destroys people's lives. So the, the believer who's walking in the Spirit does not grieve the Spirit. He's, he's concerned about God. Because he loves him, he doesn't want to do anything that would ever hurt him or grieve him. Well, we can quench the Spirit when we refuse to permit the Spirit to, uh, to lead us and express himself. Oftentimes the Spirit will want to speak in you. Maybe, maybe it's a word of knowledge. Maybe it's a, a word of wisdom. Maybe it's a, a kindness or a gift of hospitality. But, 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 you know, I don't know that person. I don't want to do it. And, and you're quenching the Spirit. I want to go to Ephesians 5, 18 and 20. And I'm going to read the CJB, Christian Jewish Bible. It says, don't get drunk with wine because it makes you lose control. Yeah, that's what alcohol does in this sense. If a person's drunk, they, they're not in control. They say things, do things that they would never do. And he contrasts that, okay? Instead, keep on being filled with the Spirit. Or I'm going to add that word, really, if you look and do a word study, it means continually be controlled by the Spirit of God. Let Him control your life. Well, that means I have to let him be the Lord of my life. That's what he's saying. If you want to walk in the Spirit, then you're going to let me control the things you say, the places you go, the things you do, your attitudes. And notice again what happens is you'll sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to each other and sing to the Lord and make music in your heart to him and always give thanks for everything to God and Father in the name of the Lord Yeshua the Messiah. You know, this is a person that's full of joy. Just, just excited. Guys, you should have great big smiles on your face because God is so exciting. God is awesome, amen? amen. But we need to live that life that way. See, that's what's going to help you and me walk in the Spirit when we have this, this such excitement, this such enthusiasm in the Lord. Look with me again. The result, the result of the constant obedience of the command is it's really guaranteed if you will not carry out the desire of the flesh if you walk in the Spirit. It's a promise. If you do this, 
there's no problems in your life. Because when problems come, they're not problems, are they? Problems are opportunities to let God work in your life. He's, amen, he's saying there, okay? Now, what does he mean, the flesh, in this case? It refers to the sin that operates through our human nature, that, that bent. It's not just this flesh, but it's a sin that's living in that bent and slant. Motivating us. See, temptation comes from within. We can't blame it on the devil. It's real easy to blame it on somebody else. If my husband didn't do it, my wife didn't do that, then I, no. The problem is from within. We, we have this sinful nature. This sinful nature, it lusts. It desires everything that the, the Lord wants to do in your life. It says no. And the Spirit desires to set you free. It lusts. Lust is good and bad. The Spirit lusts for you or desires. God is jealous for you because he wants the best for you. Well, in verse 17, we see the conflict. The flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. And these, again, are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you want to do. You can want to do the right thing, but there's this battle going on. There's a battle. And if you're feeding, again, spiritual food, then, then you'll be able to do it. And what it's, it's speaking about is, is there's two natures in you and me. Adam was created. He had this created and creature-like holiness. Yes, perfect human nature, but after the fall, it was a fallen nature. So you have this nature, again, when, when Adam died and he sinned, spiritually he died, but you had this fleshly nature. But when you're born again, now you have, again, this, this nature, the Spirit of God living, and now there's a battle going on between them. And we need to be aware of that. We need to be able to deal with it. Again, 2 Peter 1.4 says this, For by these he has granted us to us his precious, magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of this world by lust. God himself is living in each and every one of you. Isn't that awesome? Look at your wife. Look at your husband. Look at your brother, your sister. Do you see Christ in them? See, the person that's walking in spirit, you'll see that. And when you see them growing in the Lord, encourage them to continue in that walk in the Lord. Again, 1 Peter 1.23 says, For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living, enduring word of God. How are you born again? The living, enduring word. Word of God. People need to know Jesus. The person who's walking in the Spirit will be telling people about Jesus. We'll be looking for opportunities. We'll be concerned about the, their walk and how people see them and understand the things they do. Notice again in 1 John 3, 9, it says, no one who's born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he's born of God. Now some people take this, oh yeah, I, I've been born again. I cannot sin. 
No, 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 that's not true, is it? In my fleshly nature, I sin. In that spiritual nature, that part that's born again, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God's not going to sin. When you yield to those fleshly desires, when you're feeding that flesh, then you sin. Notice again, no one who is born of God practices sin. The idea is habitually ongoing, does it? You're going to sin. Let me encourage you. You're going to sin, and God is faithful and just to cleanse you of all unrighteousness when you confess your sins. The work's not done. Positionally, God sees you just as you never sinned. You're a saint set apart. He is progressively making you holy, and he will finish that work in you. You have that divine nature within you, and he's changing you, and he's transforming you, you no longer need to submit to the old man. In fact, as you continue down that road, you'll sin less and less. In fact, he'll reveal things in areas of your life you never knew. Maybe there's a bitterness deep down in your heart that you've never forgiven someone. And God wants to set you free. He wants you to forgive them and let go. Because that bitterness in our heart destroys us. It separates us. Well, death will set the Christian free. Free from this this body, this incorruptible body, and that will receive a new body, incorruptible, but it's not really new humanity. It's something fashioned for eternity. The resurrection, again, is, is, is because of the resurrection of Christ that, that we now will die, but we will be raised in the newness of life. Now, here's the key. Again, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 24, speaking really about money and greed, but notice what it says. No one can serve two masters, for either one will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other, You cannot serve God in wealth. In the case, he's talking about money. But the fact is, you cannot serve two masters. You have to decide today, who will you serve? Will you serve the Lord or will you serve the flesh? And if it means that you want to serve the Lord, then you have to surrender and give yourself over to him. But there's two natures in me. There's two desires. They're they're opposed to each other. I'm a sinner, but I, I'm a child of God at the same time. How do, I, how do I bring the balance? How do I work through this? They're, they're lusting with each other. First Thessalonians 2.17 says, But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time while in person, not in spirit, were more eager with great desire to see your face. God puts the desires in our heart. And we need to respond to them. We need to be in the place that God would have us be. God will put us along with other brothers and sisters that, and I know I'm preaching to the choir, you're, you're in fellowship. Do you realize how important fellowship is with other brothers and sisters? You need it. They need you. You need them, not just Sunday mornings, you need it during the week, whether it be on a phone call. Some people call and pray and talk to each other on the phone. A home study, open your home up, lunchtime, 
If you have an hour lunch, open the Bible, read with somebody. You need that fellowship. Go walking with somebody. Spend time with them because you'll be encouraged by them. What God is doing in them, they'll encourage you and you'll be praying for each other. Paul had a lot of desires. He just sometimes didn't know what to do. In Philippians 1.23, he says, but I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having a desire to depart and be with Christ. For that was much better. But he goes on to, to say, you know, the better thing is really to stay, to minister to the need is, is here. One day, every one of us will go be with the Lord, but, but God has put us here that we would be there for one another. Courage one another. Well, the struggle is a spiritual frustration, defeat for, for many. And, and again, let me read 1 John 3, 8 and 9. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God has appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. And no one is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Recognize that we're born of God and, and we want to walk that walk that is worthy of God. We're going to walk in the Spirit. We're going to keep on walking continually. Being in that fellowship, being in the Word, being with other brothers and, and sisters is so important. Paul learned the, the victory. The victory is, it's in, the secret of the victory is really confessing his struggle. In fact, look with me in Romans 7. 15 through 23, we're going to read for what I am doing. I do not understand for what I am not practicing, what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing the law is good. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells that is, in my flesh, for the willing is present in me, but doing good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it. But sin which dwells in me, and I find the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good, for I joyfully concur the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which in my members. And then on to Romans seven twenty four, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? You know Paul's problem? Same problem as yours, right? Did you get it? What was it? It was highlighted there. I. If you're focused on yourself, you're in big trouble. You're going down for the count. See, the person that's walking in the Spirit is not thinking about themselves. They're thinking about God. When you first went out with that loved one, that first love relationship, you didn't think about yourself. You, all you could do is thinking about them and being with them where you're going to go with them, what you're going to do, how can you please them? Do we have that relationship with the Lord? If we don't, 
then we have left that first love relationship that the book of Revelation talks about. We've left that first love. See, it's that first love relationship when I'm so focused upon God. That's where I find the victory. That's where you find the victory. When I'm thinking on the Lord, I don't sin. Do you sin? No. It's when I'm doing other things, when, when the Lord's not with me. The Lord's with me, but I'm not with him. This is so important that we have this relationship and intimacy. Just as you were going out in that first love, you would cultivate it. And when you're married, you, you go through a life. I don't care if you're married five years, 10 years, 20 years, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years for some. 65 years for my parents before my father died. It's something that you ongoing cultivate that relationship. If you're not cultivating that relationship with the Lord ongoing, then you have left that first love. Meditating upon his word and talking to him. It's a surrendered spirit. But there's hope. Paul says there's hope in verse 18. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Man, when I just read the law sometimes, I feel this burden upon me. Do you understand how that works? If I had to keep the law, I'd go to hell. But see, it's God working in you and working in me, giving us this desire to be led. But we're going to suppress that truth or we're going to recognize it. When he's trying to draw us, we're either going to respond and cultivate it or we'll quench that spirit. Bottom line is, if you're walking in the spirit, you're not under the law. You don't need the law. You know that you're helpless to depart from him. You know unless you continue to abide in him, you can do nothing Good, there's that need. So you're, you're following him. And when you're, when you're so in love with him, you're following, you just go wherever he would have you go. But if you're trying to, to keep traditions, laws, rules, that's not a relationship. That's bondage. See, when I begin to focus on what I've got to do a lot, I I need to recognize my shortcomings and give it to the Lord. But if I'm just trying to live by that, I'm going to fail. Because it's depressing in itself. I'd like to take you back to Deuteronomy just for a moment and finish with this. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, perhaps you remember that Moses went up the hill and He went up the hill for 40 days and 40 nights. The people were fearful at the bottom. Moses describes in that passage, he didn't eat for 40 days. I don't eat for two days, I'm in trouble. If I don't eat for four hours, I'm in trouble. He didn't eat for 40 days. Why didn't he eat for 40 days? I believe that he was so focused upon the Lord, so amazed with the Lord, so enthralled, captivated that his fleshly desires went away. 
See, that's where we need to be. When we're so captivated by looking at Jesus, knowing Jesus, knowing what he's done for you and me, it's amazing. I don't want to walk in the flesh. I want to follow him wherever, wherever he goes. When I know who he is, and, and that's what really Christianity is all about, is really knowing God. It's not knowing a set of rules. It's just not knowing all the scripture and being able to, to quote it. It's knowing him. What does this tell me about him and his love for you and me and, and, and quietly sitting there after you read and, and, and just listening to him speak? And he says, yeah, and I love you with an everlasting love. I desire you to walk with me. And you think of Enoch who walked with the Lord all those years and all of a sudden he said one day, he wasn't. And you've heard me maybe say this. I just kind of believe in my own mind that, that Enoch was walking with God and, and God said to Enoch, Enoch, you're closer to, to my home than yours. Come home with me. Isn't that where you want to be? Home with the Lord. A place where there's no sin and no pain and no sorrow. That's when you and I walk in the Spirit, when we're captivated by Him, longing with Him, we're walking almost as if we're in a daze and I'm not going to walk off there, okay? And I'm going to follow Him. And you'll follow Him wherever He goes. Father, thank You for Your Word that is fresh, it's new, Every time we look at it, God, you're amazing, God. You're an awesome God. And God, we want to know you more today than we've ever known before. We, we want to walk with you. We don't want to walk with this world. We love you. We adore you. We've come to, to really worship and adore you and know you. And we ask even as the day reveals itself more and more, that you'd reveal something new, something fresh about our relationship with you. And all God's people said, Amen.